Uh, Let's go to God in prayer before we open up our text this morning. God, we thank you so much for the day that we've been granted, for uh, the opportunity that we have today to gather amongst your people, amongst our family, amongst those who are called to be your disciples. We bring you praise, we bring you honor, we bring you glory. And at this moment, Father, we surrender our, our spirits to you and to your spirit. We surrender our heart and our mind to you and to your spirit that you may change, that you may shape, that you may transform us into the kind of people you've called us to be. May we be more like you day in and day out as we continue to grow in our likeness of you and in our knowledge of you. We pray that the obstacles that stand before us so frequently would be removed and that we would be willing to listen to what you have to say to us today. And that as we leave this place, we will be bold and courageous to follow where you lead. We thank you for Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whom we pray these things. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 here in just a moment as we continue to talk about the life and the story of Joseph and the many different ways in which Joseph experienced these little plot twists. We see the way God works in unusual Again, we call them unusual, but for God, they're not unusual. You know, the unusual is the norm for God. The things that we wouldn't anticipate or expect become the very ways in which God comes in and redeems all kinds of situations for his good and for his favor. And we see that evident over and over again in the life of Joseph. As I was kind of reading through this story and thinking, you know, what do we want to kind of take from this? Um, I was reminded of a time a few years ago. Uh, we were sitting in uh, the community center in Olathe, Kansas. We used to go up there every Monday and Wednesday and play basketball for, for the lunch hour. There was about 15 of us that would gather together, and it was mostly uh, 40 to 60-year-olds. There was a couple of guys that were a little older than that. One of them was 72, and he's still playing basketball with us every Monday, every Wednesday, and most Fridays. And we're sitting there, and we're getting dressed um, after we, we got done playing, and he turned and he said, Josh, getting olds for the birds, man. And I said, well, it's better than the alternative. And he finished putting his shoes on. And about two minutes later, he said, oh, you're right. Um, it is better than the alternative because if you're not getting older, you're not alive. Because it's kind of one of the things about being alive is that over and over again, you just continue to get older. And sometimes we need a little bit of a change in perspective. And we see this frequently in Scripture, that God calls the people that he interacts with to change the way they see some things. And we find Joseph here uh, in Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 20. He kind of sets the stage for what is occurring at this point in the life of Joseph. Joseph is given a, a request by his father. He says, I want you to go out into the fields and I want you to find your brothers. And I want you to come back and report what's going on. Um, Verse 12. Now the brothers had gone to graze their flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And so he said, Go and see if all is well. Um, And then come and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing? He says, Oh, they moved on from here. Um, I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers 
and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill them, to kill him. There comes that dreamer, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Um, things aren't looking real good for Joseph, although Joseph has no clue what lies in wait for him. Right? In, in one sense, he's just doing what dad told him to, but in another sense, he has set some things up for himself, uh, and he knows that there's this animosity between he and his brothers, and as his brothers see him in the distance, they begin plotting against him. Uh, but Reuben, Reuben, bless his heart. Man, thankfully, there, there is frequently someone who is willing to come in and, and be reasonable about what is transpiring. And Reuben says, mm, let's not kill him. We can't do this, can we? We may not like him, we may not agree with what he said, and he has said some outlandish things, but maybe that's going a little too far. Maybe we just sell him off so we don't have to take him home. And we can make Dad think that he's dead, but we can't actually do this, can we? And what we find in the remaining part of this, in verses 21 and 22, is he actually intended to come back. Look, he says, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood, but throw him into the cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from, from them and then take him back to his father. Right? So Reuben has this plan that we're going to throw him in the cistern. The brothers are going to go back. I'll go back later on tonight. I'll get Joseph, and we'll get this all worked out. So there is some cooler heads there but we know that that's not what happened he gets thrown in to this cistern and a band of ishmaelites come on we'll talk about them in just a moment so he ends up being sold into slavery and so the question is when in the world is being sold into slavery the best option available when the other option is death and so here is joseph in the midst of being carried off into a foreign land with foreign people as a slave And it's a little grim. My brothers have turned on me. They wanted to kill me. And now I'm being sold as a slave. And, and, and it would be easy for Joseph to, to kind of rest in that. And maybe for a while he does rest in that little pool of, of pity. But at some point Joseph realizes something. He realizes that even though he's being sold into slavery, it's better than the alternative because the alternative was death. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to take his life. What he is experiencing is better than the alternative. And so we find ourselves frequently in the middle of tragic circumstances, of, of avenues and times in life, of illness, of loss, of disease, of destruction. We have people that have turned their back on us. We have weather events that take things from us. We, we have all kinds of things that occur that place us in the midst of tragedy. And frequently, particularly for people of God, we find ourselves asking a couple of questions. The first one is simply this. Does God really care? B because when we, when we find ourselves in there, we, we do a lot of the same things that Job does, right? We look and we say, I don't deserve this. 
I've made sacrifices for my Christianity. I've made sacrifices for God. I've made sacrifices for Jesus. There are things I could be doing that I'm not doing, and it's all because of who you are and who you've called me to be. Why in the world am I going through this right now? If you really cared about me, you wouldn't allow me to hurt. And look, I know that we say this about God because I said it about my parents, and my children have said it about me, maybe not to my face, but I know they said it because I said it. Hey, Dad, if you really loved me, if my dad really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. And we say it about God frequently. Does God really care? Because if God really cared, why in the world would he say that he loves me so much, yet let me go through this much pain and suffering and agony? Because this is not right. And I have to believe that Joseph, simply because he is human, uh, is sitting here in the bottom of the cistern looking up going, seriously, God, this is not the way this is supposed to work. You gave me a couple of dreams and you said that I was going to rule and all these people were going to bow down to me. And this doesn't look like a kingly place to be. So what am I doing here in the bottom of this well? And now I'm being sold to Ishmaelites. These aren't even our people. You can't even put me in slavery with some other Hebrews, with some descendants of Moses that I can connect with, that I can bond with, where maybe I do have a chance of ruling my people. This doesn't make sense, God. You don't really care about me. Maybe those dreams were just farces. Maybe you were just holding me up to a standard that I never could have lived up to. These are kind of things that maybe have been going through Joseph's mind and they go through our mind at times when we look at God and say, you say you love me, but do you really care? And see, the hard part about it is in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of loss, in the middle of anxiety, it is so hard to see what the other alternatives are. And I have to believe, even though Joseph heard the voices of his brothers saying, let's kill him, it's hard to focus on the fact that slavery is the better option. That being removed from my family is the better option. That being removed from my father is the better option. How can that be? We have the same kind of issues in gaining that kind of perspective. And so we ask the question, Does God really care? And the second question that we frequently come to is the same question that Jesus asked on the cross. Has God abandoned me? Because there are moments in life where as hard as I look, it is so hard to see God. I mean, the storms are raging so horribly that I'm looking and I'm searching and I see a lot of things, but what I don't see is I don't see God. And I ask the same question that Jesus asked on the cross, why have you forsaken me because I don't feel your presence anymore? Have you abandoned me? Intellectually, we know that God does care. Intellectually, we know that God does not abandon his people, but in the midst of the moment, it is so hard to wrap our mind around this fact when we look out and don't see God that he has not abandoned. 
saw a little cartoon, and it was kind of a play on the old footsteps uh, uh, poem, right? You have two sets of footprints, and a man's looking back at his life, and Jesus says, you see those two sets of footprints? That's where you and I walk together. And the man looks at Jesus and says, how come in the roughest parts of the, of the beach there's only one set of footprints? Did you abandon me? And he said, no, that set of footprints over there is where I carried you for a little bit. And that big trench is where I had to drag you for a little while. And, then, and it kind of goes on and on like this, right? And sometimes we have to kind of be drugged along, and it's not comfortable. But he's saying, look, would you just get up and get in my arms and let me carry you? But we get so wrapped up in observing the circumstances that we can't have the perspective to see what God is redeeming us from or redeeming us through. And frequently when we look at and we don't see God, it's not because God is not there. It's because we just don't have the vision to see through the storm. We're unable to see where it is that we are anchored in the midst of tragedy and in the midst of strife. And the story goes on here. Genesis chapter 37 verse 23 it's not over for Joseph. He's not going to die. But when Joseph, uh, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing. And they took him and threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, uh, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Strangers in a foreign land. And Joseph is kind of a stranger in his own family. But now he's being given in, given over to these Ishmaelites. Right? You remember the Ishmaelites, descendants of, of the son, not of the promise. You have the Ishmaelites and those who are born of Isaac. There's some animosity between these people. And he's sold into the enemy. He's not just any old slave. He's a slave of the enemy. He's a slave of an enemy that does not have his good or his welfare in mind. And in fact, they're going to take him to Egypt and see if they can sell him for even more money. And he's going to be pawned off to yet another enemy of the Hebrew people. Stranger in a foreign land. How in the world, God, how in the world is my dream supposed to come true? You promised me. You gave me the vision. And now you've landed me here. This makes no sense. But if you've read any of Scripture at all, what you find out is God does His best work when it makes no sense. In fact, He does most of His work when it makes no sense. And that is frequently my problem, is it not? That I try to go places and do things and act in ways that make sense. And God says, your sense doesn't make sense to me. And my sense doesn't make sense to mankind. What man would say, you know what, in order to redeem my people, 
my son needs to be crucified on a cross to take on the sins of the world. That's foolishness. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Didn't make sense to Joseph. The Ishmaelites had no idea they were doing God's will or or providing an avenue through which God would save the Hebrew people. But here is Joseph. Amongst the Ishmaelites, amongst the Midianites. And here's the other thing. God is always there. Right, we ask the question, have God, have you abandoned me? Do you really care? The truth is this, God is always there. And the thing is, we frequently don't recognize him because how are you going to recognize God in your enemy? How are you going to recognize God in the one who is trying to kill you? But here is Reuben, right? Amongst the people who are trying to kill Joseph, who brings the point of salvation, says, guys, let's not kill him. Let's think twice about this. You see, God shows up in the most random of places. And if you're not looking for him, it's easy to overlook. He'll find you through a beggar on the corner. He'll find you in a co-worker. You'll find him in a family member. You'll find him in people all over this world. But we have to be willing to look And to surrender because God shows up for Joseph in the form of Reuben, a brother who just for a moment says, guys, let's not kill him. Let's not do this. And God shows up in the form of a band of the enemy and a band of Ishmaelites that come along and are willing to buy Joseph and take him on into Egypt. God shows up for Joseph in the form of a master who would provide him a place to work. God shows up for Joseph in the form of a baker, in the form of a cupbearer. And God shows up for Joseph in the form of Pharaoh. You see, we have this preconceived notion of what God looks like when he's working, about how we will recognize him. But the truth is, he is always there. And just because you don't recognize him doesn't mean he has gone. Because when we are anchored to the shore and we begin moving, it's not the shore that's moving to us. We are moving to that that is steady, firm and unwavering. He is always there. Verse 29. When Reuben returns to the cistern and sees that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it and see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. And Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. And so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard. And here's what we will see from here on out when it comes to the life of Joseph, that you have a choice to make. And no matter what circumstances in life you find yourself, you can choose to remain faithful. 
You can choose to remain in the will of God. You can choose to say, even though I cannot see God, I will remain faithful. Even though I have all these different things going on, I know who God is. I know his promise, and I know what he has called me to be, and this will be me. When people see my life, they will see a life of faithfulness. In the midst of joy, in the midst of trial, in the midst of celebration, in the midst of mourning, we choose faithfulness. Joseph chooses faithfulness. Not always right away. Not always in a manner that that he should have, but he is faithful. And in the end, or or along the way to the end in chapter 39, verses 1 and 2, we see this little aspect of Joseph's Joseph's life. He's sold into uh, the service of Potiphar, captain of the guard, says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of, of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. It would have been really easy for Joseph to kind of look and just throw his hands up and say, you know what, my dream's not coming true. I had this great vision that showed great things for my life. And I thought it was from God, but it must not have been from God because he wouldn't have brought me into a place like this if he really had something big and massive in mind for me like he had led me to believe and just kind of surrender to his circumstance. Who in the world could have blamed Joseph for surrendering to his circumstance when he is a prisoner of the Ishmaelites and sold into slavery in Egypt? How in the world is he supposed to see that he is going to be a ruler? Of the Hebrews. See, it's only God's perspective that is able to see those kind of things, and we simply don't have it. Nor nor should we expect to have it on this side of eternity, because we are human. And we don't have God's perspective because, frankly, we are not God. But we can live knowing that God has a greater perspective than we, that he has a greater design and desire for our life than we can ever even understand. And we can trust that if we will remain faithful, that the blessings of the Lord will show up in ways that we maybe never could have imagined. The presence of God will show up in ways that we never could have imagined. But we have to be willing to look and to listen and to surrender and to follow. Maybe today is the day that you decide to take your place amongst those who follow Jesus Christ.